With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. As we've known for a very long time that there are definite social uh, differences and social um, problems and discriminate and and discriminations within uh, the healthcare system and other systems in not only in the U.S. and Canadian governments, but there are also around the world where women and different social classes are definitely clearly discriminated against when it comes to healthcare. And COVID-19 may have pointed out some of those problems and accentuated some of those problems and we're still seeing seeing some of that in the fact that uh, vaccinations in um, lesser developed countries or countries that have lower incomes or poorer people um, have been slow at best if some of the some of the of the vaccination programs in these countries they've even started whereas in the richer countries we've seen that the vaccinations have managed to spread but there are still deficits within the more developed countries when it comes to who actually gets to receive health care women and um, and female-related issues we saw during the pandemic take a back burner. And we saw um, domestic violence incidents rise against women, against people that have disabilities, and those who are vulnerable within our society. So... I had a conversation with Dr. Avni Amen. She is the an expert with the WHO and on these issues and um, and she has had some really good ideas in our conversation about how to fix them, how to make things better for uh, those who are vulnerable. Um, so why don't we listen to what Dr. Avni has to say about what is going on with um, discrimination within our global healthcare systems and how we might be able to fix some of that and 
do may be able to do a better job at helping everyone be healthy on a global level. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, welcome back, everybody. We're here today with Dr. Afni Emin. And she is technical officer at the WHO Department of Sexual Reproductive Health and Research, including um, the UNDP, UNFPA, UNICEF, WHO, World Bank, Special Programs of Research, uh, Development and Research and Training of Human Reproduction. And... I'm glad to have you on the show today because the our our um, ultimate topic is women's health and how important that is not only um, in underdeveloped countries but everywhere in the world right now because so so many countries have um, discrimination against women built into their systems. So why don't we start there? <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> What, what, what made you become a doctor, and where did you grow up? I, um, well, first of all, a, uh, a little bit of a clarification. I'm not a medical doctor. I have a PhD in international health from the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. So I'm a doctor of philosophy, but not of medicine, <laughs> just, just so that uh, it's, it's clear for your uh, listeners. <laughs> it, it, it still takes um, a lot of study, I grew up right? in India. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in India. I um, grew up in the city of Mumbai. I left India when I was 18 to go study uh, in the U.S. I did my undergraduate and graduate and Ph.D. work uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, sort of, I call it down the eastern seaboard, but... Basically, that was where my um, higher uh, education was. And I worked in the U.S. for uh, three or four years uh, before I moved to Switzerland for personal reasons. And I've been in Geneva at WHO now for almost yeah, 16 years or so. And growing up in India, it was really basically three things that I remember from my childhood that make, made me very passionate about women's health and uh, gender equality. 
I grew up in a household where my aunt who raised me after my mother died was um, she was a child bride at age 15 and had five children fairly young uh, didn't have the opportunity to complete her schooling but because of her experience and she was widowed uh, before she reached 30 so you know left with five children to raise no schooling um, she was very very passionate about making sure that I have the opportunity to complete my education and you know big believer that girls should complete their schooling so I grew up listening to her stories of what it meant to be a child bride mm -hmm. secondly my father was a feminist he was he he was the youngest in the, in the family and had the opportunity to um, uh, to at least you know get get to his bachelor's or up to his bachelor's degree but you know very convinced about uh, women and men being equal raising sons and daughters as equal so he encouraged us to aspire you know to 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 sort of be the best we could so that was a big influence uh, in my life and then it, when I went to the US I had the opportunity, I was training to be a, medical, um, a biochemistry major and do lab sciences when mm -hmm. I interned at the National Institutes of Allergies and Infectious Disease and heard uh, Tony Fauci, who now is a household name in North America, I think, or at least in the U United States. Yes. Um, <laughs> and talked about, uh, listened to his lecture and speech around infectious disease epidemiology and I also had the privilege during my undergraduate training to listen to Jonathan Mann who is now dead but you know was the founder of the Health and Human Rights Center and very famous uh, AIDS uh, researcher and believer in the human rights of uh, marginalized populations so those two um, plus I was taking courses in women's studies as part of my liberal arts training along with biochemistry it made me really want to focus on public health and within public health really about uh, looking at what made people sick not just the viruses and the bacteria and the cells and the you know body's physiological um, processes that got people sick but really what made people sick because of who they were where they lived uh, what access they had what opportunities they had and how they experienced discrimination and so that was sort of my long circuitous journey into focusing on discrimination in public health and that's sort of how I arrived to this point of focusing on gender equality and women's health and for me it became very obvious listening to my aunt's stories uh, you know uh, seeing what I did uh, growing up in India and elsewhere in the US as well that um, discrimination was a big factor in not just whether you got sick or not but whether you got well after becoming sick so whether you had health care, whether you didn't have access to health care, whether you had health insurance, whether you didn't have health insurance coverage, whether it was a good health insurance coverage or not, mm -hmm. and how you were treated by the health 
providers and the health services themselves. If you were a sex worker, you got discriminated when you attended health facilities because you were a sex worker. Or if you were a woman um, from one of the poorer marginalized communities, um, uh, if you were an ethnic minority, if you're an indigenous woman, if you were a black woman in the U.S., um, you didn't receive the same quality of health care that, that others would if, if they were wealthy, if they were white, if they were well-resourced. So all of these things sort of came together for me in really focusing on, on uh, equality and women's health. Yeah, I, I think we, we both kind of lived some of that as a... As we as we say in North America, being a visible minority and having lived in both the U.S. and in and Canada, um, that even if you had um, had insurance at times in 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 the in the U.S., um, well, they they questioned how you came about it and things like that. Um, and of course, in Canada. Um, that if you walk into, if you're an indigenous person and you walk into a healthcare facility, that they treat you uh, like you're second grade. Um, so, leads me into the next question of how important is it to actually, um, because because our world is changing so much and we have at this point uh, 7.5 billion people living in our world and probably only about 1 billion people actually really get good health care. So how, with the pandemic happening and everything, how important has this become that we actually get health care to be equal across all the, all the borders and boards between women and women? Women and men, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think the COVID pandemic has, um, I would say, you know, we always knew that discrimination was a big factor in, in accessing health, good quality health care. But the COVID pandemic has um, magnified or actually kind of exposed or brought to the surface how um, truly, truly disempowering it is to, uh, you know, live in a poorer country, to live in a poorer neighborhood, or to live in a poorer household, to be uh, a minority, uh, you know, to be uh, from the poor sort of socioeconomic backgrounds in just so, so, so many ways. Um, you know, the first thing we learned um, very soon after COVID pandemic uh, hit and, you know, people started getting um, infected rapidly and countries started uh, uh, imposing lockdowns was reports of violence against women. And, you know, very long time. You know, we have the figure of one in three women experiencing violence in their lifetime. It's been around for some uh, few years now. But what COVID brought to light is that lockdown measures in a crisis like COVID was in fact making this worse, was in fact exacerbating it because now women didn't have an outlet. They were locked at home with their abusers. 
the services that supported women were closed down or inaccessible because uh, women couldn't access them and in order to access them you had to have phones or internet or whatever and that also made things worse for those who didn't and then very soon you started hearing about uh, services that were essential for women like sexual reproductive health services maternal health services um, you know being um, compromised or being unavailable uh, including pregnancy care because governments were um, reorienting staff who were providing uh, care for women uh, for maternal health or family planning or other reproductive health services to COVID which you know you can say on one hand is understandable but neither sex nor pregnancy stops during pandemics people continue to live their lives continue to give birth continue to have sex and continue to need those services and so all of a sudden now those services were not accessible or available in many countries and you were seeing spikes in um, you know unplanned pregnancies or spikes in maternal uh, deaths and 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 morbidity which should not have happened if governments were better prepared right and it just sort of speaks to how less valued are these uh, these services for governments to say well we you know now change our orientation and reorient our staff to something else without planning for these for continuation of these services the third thing the pandemic exposed and again nothing is what we haven't seen before we've talked about this for many many years is the amount of unpaid care work that women uh, do in the homes it's uh, you know it's known that they do three times as much as men in any setting uh, of domestic care domestic chores taking care of children taking care of uh, the elderly taking care of the sick and all of a sudden this became more visible because you know lo and behold uh, unpaid care work uh, increased as schools closed down children were at home women who were working were struggling between uh, child care and um, work and many many women had to drop out of uh, paid work because of uh, lack of child care uh, jobs it's particularly in many sectors that we expect were hardest hit um, and the informal sector were predominantly uh, employing women and so you know you've got kpmg and other reports coming out that in the us north america i think there's a report today also in canada from canada speaking about how many job losses were happening by uh, in by sectors affecting women and lo and behold you are seeing data that says you know the biggest job losses have been among women more than men and again it just speaks to where women are employed which sectors what um social protection um has been there or lacking before the pandemic that is now you know wearing out in these job losses so all of a sudden you're seeing this discrimination manifesting and it isn't just you know women versus men i think we also have to look at the fact that it isn't it's women of color it's the poorest communities it's the indigenous populations it's uh, ethnic minority groups um you know they're the ones who are most likely to suffer from 
domestic unpaid domestic care because they cannot afford to pay for child care they uh, are working in sectors that are completely um, informal you know domestic workers for example or restaurant workers who are relying on tips and not proper wages i mean these are the ones uh, sectors that are getting affected and these are also the sectors that employ the most the poorest and the most marginalized um so you're seeing sort of this con- uh, confluence of different forms of discrimination coming coming here and what what does that mean when you lose your job you lose if you have health insurance coverage you lose lose that if right. if you know to begin with secondly um if you're working in an informal sector like you know restaurants or domestic workers most likely you are paying out of pocket for healthcare you don't have health insurance coverage you don't have the safety net social protection safety nets um and therefore now all of a sudden without a job if you get sick you're paying out of pocket so it's it's all of these things that covid has just literally laid bare it's there it's been there we've known about it mm-hmm. and you know the activists and academics and others have published these things but now it's being openly talked about uh because it's just so stark to see that another sector um which and another issue which has also become quite uh apparent with covid is for many years we've known that um people who are taking care of i mean the health workers who are taking care of uh, the sick uh even before covid you know the ones who were at the front lines were women women are about 70% of the health workforce you know whether it's as nurses uh lab assistants nurses assistants midwives um and uh, doctors but many of them have been working without adequate protection and now covid comes and many of them don't they're working in these circumstances without adequate personal protective equipment risking their their own lives um you know risking the lives of of their patients uh because the system the health system had not adequately paid attention to the needs of these health workers yeah. uh had not provided and prepared to to make the conditions of work that they're working in uh you know safe um uh so i think that that's sort of all of this is i would say coming together as years and years of neglect uh by all of these institutions and systems and and lack of attention to what discrimination does yeah through through all all of your your research and your and your studying and everything how do how how do we as um a global society how do we start to fix this problem <laughs> well first of all i will just say that um you know i'm like um like a clinical illness there is no magic pill right so you're right. not going to be able to give uh somebody who has blood pressure <laughs> Until and lo and behold, their blood pressure disappears. This one is going to require a lot of systemic changes, and you know, starting with and uh, 
we just published a um, editorial in the British Medical Journal on gender equality and women's health and what we need to envision or aspire to, let's say, 25 years from now mm-hmm. uh, and learn from the mistakes, you know, that were made way before COVID. But if, if, if we really want to build back better, you know, the, 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 the word, the phrase that is now used, build back better, we cannot build back better on a foundation of, of discrimination in the health systems, in the economic systems, in the social protection systems. And I would say, if you really were to, to pay attention to gender equality in the building back better, um, we have to have social protection systems, including policies for childcare, for sick and family care, uh, 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 family leave, for parental leave, for uh, old age pensions that account and are taken care of by universal tax-based financing rather than relying. I mean, these are not, it's not like you can go and buy it in the market and say, okay, I want to buy this pair of jeans versus another. I mean, these are essential government responsibilities to make sure that that's what's provided for for all the populations but particularly the ones who will not have access to this through the private market right the 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 the, the indigenous populations the poorest of the lot the women who often uh, don't have access to formal formal markets etc so you need to have some basic foundation that gives people that floor for these very basic things in life that you need. I think the second thing is health uh, health insurance and health. I know in Canada it's a nationalized health system, but in many other countries, a lot of people are paying out of pocket. And again, yeah. you know, you have to have some universal health insurance coverage or health coverage for basic services for the whole population that is financed by a tax-based system that covers everyone. Um, you know, for a minimum package of, of, of essential services that are that are that most populated people need. Uh, the third thing is really thinking about how we value paid and unpaid care work. And one of the reasons we have really seen this uh, imbalance is because unpaid care work is not valued. Um, and yet, if you actually were to put a monetary value to the work that is done domestically. Um, and you know, it's it's trillions of dollars that would be, uh, you know, in terms of just thinking the economic value of the unpaid care work that women do at home. If they didn't do childcare, if they didn't do cleaning, if they didn't do household domestic chores, if they didn't take care of the sick, the elderly, if they, you know, weren't there to do all those jobs and chores that nobody else wants to do it would really, you put an economic value in terms of time and money, it's a huge amount. So I do think that that's there, but beyond valuing, we have to find ways to support that unpaid care work. It can't just be relying on women's unpaid labor um, and really bring men into that conversation of how can unpaid care work be shared more equally? How can we equitably share childcare? It shouldn't, there's no biological reasons why men cannot be in equally engaged in childcare, in, uh, you know, family care, in 
caring for the sick for the elderly you know it doesn't there's no um reason why why this imbalance has to be there so how do we engage men in that sharing of of care work i think the other thing is clearly um services health services have to be available high quality and sexual reproductive health services cannot be subject to what happens during pandemics and all of a sudden you you know uh make them unessential they have to be part of every preparedness plan and included as essential services i think the other thing um that needs to be thought through which we talk about in the bmj paper is that we have a rising burden of non communicable diseases particularly in high income countries but low income countries are catching up a lot of that is driven by corporations by corporate power by what we call commercial determinants <laughs> and we have to food uh, to, sorry tobacco alcohol sugar these three and people have talked about taxing you know these 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 products because one way to um really you know look at how young people are are taking up smoking uh you know the harmful uh, alcohol use right. sugar consumption the marketing of these products targeting uh, both men and women and in low and middle income countries because in most high income countries tobacco for example has become quite regulated in terms of marketing but they are now going after low and middle income countries where there is still this marketing allowed and it's targeting young women and ironically it's targeting uh, young women with the idea that smoking is empowering it's liberating it's feminist it's um you know a way to become more westernized so we have to really think through how we address this commercial determinants of health because in the next sort of 25 years that's really the uh, already i mean this is one of the top causes of of morbidity and deaths So I think that's one agenda, and then I can't stop here by without saying climate change. <laughs> you're you're sitting do. in Canada with the, with the one of the worst right change. now uh, heat waves that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that people don't realize is how intimately climate change is linked. The impacts are linked to what women do and women's roles, right? We talk about climate change only in terms of the impact it has in terms of, you know, the heat waves and more intense uh storms and more intense weather patterns, but mm-hmm. the impact it has on women. So in many countries um uh women are still using uh uh not clean fuels for cooking. and indoor air pollution is one of the top causes uh, or top contributors to chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases which affects a lot of women because they spend most of the times indoors in many of the low and middle income countries um for a lot of women as climate uh, change hits water as water becomes scarce they're the ones responsible for fetching water walking to sources mm-hmm. of water um as as uh, you know forests are decimated firewood is one of the big sources mm-hmm. for cooking and you know women have to walk more search more look for more for um firewood so again thinking through what the impact of climate change and 
green technologies and their access is going to be for women and girls i think is an important um piece and then finally violence i mean we have seen you know with the me me too movements um attention to violence against women and particularly in the workplaces but also um i think in canada you you probably are aware but you've got very high rates of violence in indigenous populations in indigenous women you've got femicides that are much much higher uh in indigenous uh women um in in india where i come from um some of the highest violence rates are in the lower castes and it's not just violence at homes but violence by state violence by other people in the community are targeted towards the lower caste women or lower class women so you know really paying attention to the fact that we need some fundamental change and targeting of uh social norms particularly uh bringing in men into that conversation around what healthy masculinity looks like we have a lot of very good examples that are coming up working with boys and with girls in schools uh around healthy respectful consensual relationships non-violent uh, ways of conflict management and conflict resolution and we need to we ought to be able to scale those up and make that part and parcel of our conversation starting starting very early in schools in fact uh but you know throughout in the media in communities in schools at home you know parenting the way we parent children in role model them um to think about non-violence and healthy ways of of resolving conflicts can lay a foundation uh, for not just violence against women but all forms of violence whether it's in schools bullying uh you you know youth violence or other forms of violence so i would say for me those are the things that need to happen and there is no injection here there is no pills that you can give it's just long hard structural work that has to happen yeah. to build back better yeah um i how do I, I, there there is another you you bring up a, another really good question and th- and this question has to do with the fact that um i i don't mean to pick on the fact that 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 you're that that you're uh from india and um because here in canada i'm a visible minority myself um but and i think we're we've grown up in the world in 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 about the same time time i think you were probably born in like maybe the 1970s or so and <laughs> so was i um and we've seen a lot of uh discrimination happen and if you were to envision like the ideal world and it could happen before um we we reach our century mark what would it look like <laughs> so you're probably off putting my age by a couple of decades at least <laughs> <laughs> um it's just some so the things I, you I said that i i i generation I, yeah go ahead um you know i i so i have two daughters 
and i sort of see you know what i would want them to see in let's say next 25 30 years right and i would really really want to see them or see them living in a world where uh or what my dream for them is um you know whatever first of all education wise whatever they want to achieve and do and aspire to uh including in the sciences that there wouldn't be any barriers that they could uh you know enter a job market in a in a workplace without without facing let's say discrimination in the pay so they you know they get equally paid for the for the jobs as as uh, for the same job as 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 uh, as their male peers would that they had support from the state for health insurance good quality services that they would live in a world where there was they would not be subjected to physical emotional or any kind of sexual god forbid violence in their workplace or in their personal lives or out on the streets they're safe they would feel safe they would go out feeling safe they would live in their homes feeling safe they would be at workplaces feeling safe um and that that would be the norm you know for for them um and if they decided to have kids or not whatever their choices they had the means to actually make that a reality so that you know they had access to contraception if they plan kids later um that if they decided to have kids wherever no matter what part of the world they were at the moment we live in switzerland but tomorrow if they decided to go to uganda that they <laughs> in a public hospital they would have good quality antenatal and maternal health care right if they decided to go and volunteer there or work there or whatever but it sets the sort of thing that i would want to see a world in which these are things that we take for granted um you know these are for me such basic things i know people say oh 25 years from now we'll be in a world where you know technology and everything will be you know easy but that's not i think that's not the reality for a lot of people and i really want to see that the reality where they take these basic things for granted you know access to good food environment safety uh healthcare good quality healthcare uh access to education and j- jobs where they feel fulfilled and don't face discrimination in terms of because because of who they are um um so for me i mean those are the things that i ideally would want to see and i i don't think that anybody else any other parent like me who's raising kids boys or girls or you know however they identify themselves would would want to see anything different for their kids i mean these are such fundamental basic rights that we are entitled to um and everything else is obviously you know <laughs> yeah. uh icing on the cake but i just feel like for, for you know for that little girl in nepal or that little girl in uganda this they should have the same opportunities no matter where they live um 
and obviously my kids are closer to that living in Switzerland than in India or Nepal or Uganda but I'd want to see the same for, for those kids and I'm sure the parents in those settings are aspiring for the same things yeah okay well thank you for all the, the you're you guys over there are doing a, a, a fantastic job of trying to protect our world from ourselves uh, <laughs> And thank you for all the research and your time today. So it's been it's been wonderful. Thank you, thank you for listening today, and thank you for supporting us with our sponsors. Please go to depictions.media for more information, and click on our contact link and let us know how we can help how we can help bring your story and help bring us to a better world. This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.